All right, if you guys have a Bible, we are cruising right along. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and then we are also going to be in Psalm 120, verse 7. But if you guys would pray this prayer with me uh, that is in your song sheet, and then, we, and then I'll read the scriptures and we'll get into it. Our Father, we thank you for this wise picture of Christ's life. Please reveal it to us deeply through your Holy Spirit. Teach us to listen well, learn well, and live out that knowledge. Renew our sight, refresh our hearts, and grant our desire to seek and follow you. Jesus, help us live our lives for you. Amen. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then Psalm 120, verse 7. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I wanted to just start off with a reminder that this is a beatitude. This is one saying that Jesus gave in the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount that lasts for Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So this is a part of a bigger sermon. This is not, and we're just taking it apart and looking at the the kind of the depth of what Jesus is saying to us because we want to live like Jesus. Amen? As we call ourselves Christians, it's important to be Christ-like or little Christ or Christ representatives, however you want to look at it. All these are good and right to think about and right ways uh, to live for him. And as we get to this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We need to recognize that we live in a world that does not love peace. It's not a peaceful world. We live in a world that for far too long has actually hated peace. We talk about peace. We sing songs about it. We write books or poems about peace. But we don't really know what it would feel like to live peace out in our lives. I uh, was looking at some things and this one guy said, what do you really want for Father's Day? And the guy that he was interviewing said, well, all I really want was peace and quiet. But even as that man said that, I was thinking, peace and quiet, do we know what that even looks like in our quest for peace? Um, The article that the man described, peace and quiet, it was basically he sat around and simply did whatever he wanted to do. That's not necessarily peace, right? He could do whatever he pleased with no interference. And uh, it feels peaceful for a moment, And yet at the same time, it's not this everlasting peace that we're seeking for here. Or I think about like those of us who like to go out and hike and be in wilderness, right? Like there's tremendous peace when we're there. But then when we go back to the office or we go back to about our day, that we know that that peace isn't often there. That's why we have to keep going back, right? This this verse is one of the most, in my mind, it is one of the most condemning and corrective verses in our Gospels. Our world may not love violence or, or competition or say that they do, but we practice violence more than we practice making peace. We are told that the way to peace, this is what we're taught, the way to peace is through war. This is what's practiced. This is what we see. The reason for wars are what? To make peace. 
right? And that's even the slogans like peace in the Middle East and all this kind of things. Now, there is a sense that sometimes that can help bring some resemblance of peace. But as soon as you wage war in the name of peace, peace is gone. Living in peace and being a peacemaker is a difficult path, even as a Christian. This should be our way, however, but it's hard. Jesus even tells us that truly this is one of those things where there's a narrow gate and a narrow path to walk on, and not many choose this way. It's, it's interesting. The word peacemaker, this word used in Matthew, is only used one time in the Gospels, and that's here in Matthew. But this idea permeates through the entirety of the Gospels, certainly the entire teachings of Jesus and his message of making peace. Here are some ways of, the, of a peacemaker that he talks about. Uh, these should be themes that we all recognize, but here's some themes. Forgiveness, that's the way of a peacemaker. Truth, mercy, turning the other cheek, walking the extra mile, loving your enemies, blessing those who persecute you. This is the way of a peacemaker. Offering love and hospitality, even to strangers, doing good to your enemy and showing them love and praying for everyone, whether they like you or not. I chose verse uh, Psalm 120 verse 7, as a prayer that we can pray for ourselves, as a way of setting this prayer up as a reminder in this world we find ourselves in today, and then what we want to be like in Christ. Psalm Psalm 125 through 6 says this, Woe to me that I sojourn in message, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. This is the world that we live in as well. We can say, well, uh, I, for too long I've had my dwelling among those who hate peace. We live in a world and we need a prayer for ourselves to help remind us to live for Jesus. Because honestly, it's easy to forget all the messaging. Even, even I think about this in commercials, it's crush the opponent right? In competition, crush the opponent. It's so, we get so lost in our wars and rumors and wars and so lost in our, in our quest to live and not live in violence in our speech or in our minds or even our actions. This prayer here is, I am for peace. That is a beautiful prayer. But when I speak, they are for war. We remind ourselves that, that as we are Uh, found in Christ as his followers, we are different. We speak differently, we live differently, and we are for peace. For too long, we have lived in a world where, quote-unquote, Christian governments, and I use the term loosely, and you'll see why in a moment, maybe a, a better term would be nations that claim to be Christians use and promote war and self-defense as the greatest task that you have as a citizen, or at least a great task over against what it's teaching, what Christ is teaching us in the Beatitudes. And it's a hard truth to swallow, and I've had to really wrestle with this today, but or wrestle with this this week. But I like what Wendell Berry has said in his essay called Blessed Are the Peacemakers. He's talking about this as a theme, not specifically this verse. But he says, 
one may feel that in the name of honesty, Christians ought either to quit fighting or quit calling themselves Christians. Same thing can be said for our nations. Maybe in honesty, we should stop either live like Jesus or quit calling ourselves Christians. And I mentioned at the beginning of the Beatitudes that they should encourage us and convict us when, I, when we started this series. And if we are to live like Christians, that is, followers of Jesus as our King, following the way that he has laid out for us, if we're going to live in his kingdom, then if we are to be Christ representatives, or if we're to be uh, little Christ on earth, we cannot love war. War on any level. We are to be peacemakers. That's how we are to be blessed. Church history is full of warmongers, isn't it? We can go through and read some of these things. But church history is also full of peacemakers, which interestingly enough, their stories aren't told as frequently. We, ha- we look to those who loved and lived out peace. I've got a story for us today. It's the story of Dirk Willems. And it's a beautiful one that shows the way of peace. uh, And it is marked and led by uh, generations. It has led to generations of peacemakers. Dirk Williams lived in the Netherlands in a time that was deeply religious. The churches basically ran all the government. And it was after the great, uh, like the great split with Martin Luther and all that kind of stuff. And so there was the Catholic church was there, but then also the Protestant churches were there and in the Netherlands, at least, they were kind of commingling. They were they were okay. They weren't fighting each other. They but these were the acceptable churches. And here is this is the place where Dirk lived, and he Dirk had rejected the practice of infant baptism. Now, at grace and mercy, if you accept infant baptism, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. Where this is not something we're going to ever fight about or split about. But he rejected infant baptism in favor of full submersion by a knowing adult as the way of baptism according to scripture. That's what, this was his crime, actually. This is what Dirk Williams, this was his crime. This is what he was arrested for, not believing in infant baptism. Interesting, right? He was arrested during the winter and put in a house-like prison and Dirk then had fashioned a rope out of his bed sheets, and one day he escaped by lowering himself out a window and running away. It was he was found out very quickly, and he the chase was on. They were chasing Dirk down, and his captors chased him, and Dirk went out onto a frozen pond. the The ice was thin, but it held him, but it did not hold the person who was chasing him. Dirk's captor fell through the ice. He, 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 compelled by the love of Jesus, Dirk heard the ice break and the man crying out and Dirk turned around and you know what he did? He rescued his captor. Dirk was then quickly recaptured and returned to prison. To be clear, it wasn't the man that he saved that turned on him, but the others that were there chasing him still captured him and in the name of truth and justice, they arrested him again held him more closely so he couldn't escape and they put him on trial and they found him so steadfast in his beliefs that they gave him the punishment of burning on a stake. He was burned on the stake on May 16th, 
1569. Not only was he burned, but all his possessions were taken for the benefit of the royal majesty. So this theological battle for quote-unquote truth resulted in a man who acted like Jesus, like when, when Jesus healed the man's ear that Peter had cut off. This is what I think Dirk was acting like. He was unjustly put to death for something to us that may seem silly. And at the time, it was such a big deal. And Dirk was one of the first um, that was known in the denomination as Anabaptist. Now, out of the Anabaptists, they turned into Mennonites and Amish, and they're related to the Quakers and what is now called the Friends Church. These denominations are known for being pacifists and conscientious objectors to serving in the military. So if you are a member of one of these churches and the military conscripts you, they can say, no, look, I'm a part of this church. And then that is actually a way out of serving in uh, the military. Though they, although I would say this about these groups, they have fought for justice, just not in the traditional way, not with sticks and stones and swords. They didn't use war to fight war. They didn't break their vow of peace. They kept it. And instead, these groups are known, uh, one, of their, one of their great achievements is they are greatly known for helping in the Underground Railroad. It was these groups, actually, the Mennonites and the Amish and the Quakers and the, the Friends, who it was their houses that served as postmarkers for freeing slaves. They fought against the injustice of slavery, not with bombs or guns. They fought with it by using their house, using what they had, using their own wagons, risking their own lives to, to free slaves. Now, the Mennonites and the Amish and the Quakers and, and friends, they haven't done it perfectly. They haven't done everything perfectly. But these denominations have done their best to live out this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. Given the story of Dirk Williams and that being kind of one of their roots and one of their foundations, it's not a surprise that this is who they are. The generations since have strived to live and they have accomplished it, even in today's society, to be different, to be peacemakers in a world of war. They're making an an honest attempt at living out the Beatitudes. But what happens when we fight war the traditional way is this. Blood is spilled. And when blood is spilled, you know what it begs more of? More blood. Until forgiveness and grace take hold. But even that oftentimes doesn't uh, live on for generations. And Jesus knows this. He knows that when blood is spilled, more blood must be spilled. That is why he offered up his blood as a once and for all payment for us. To make peace once and for all. And if we are to follow him, then the battle that, that we see that we know needs to be waged, waged, you know who it belongs to? Not you, not me, but it belongs to the Lord. Because of Jesus' blood, we don't need to be the ones that spill blood. He took our desire for justice upon himself. We can still have it. We can still pray for justice. We pray for truth. He took it and he offers grace and mercy in its place. Now, not everyone is going to accept Jesus' blood. 
and they are going to want their own. But as followers of Jesus, dependent on Jesus' blood for us, for our forgiveness and for our very life, when we rely on Jesus, we turn in our need for revenge and even justice. And instead, we become peacemakers. We turn these over to Jesus in exchange for trust that Jesus sees this, that he knows it. He knows all the injustice. He knows of the unjust blood that has been spilled and that has been uh, taken, lives that have been taken. And we, in truth, know that he is doing something about it. He will do something about it because judgment belongs to Jesus and our duty is to follow him and follow his words and he called us to be peacemakers. So when we are cursed, we bless. When we are hated, you know what we get to do? Deal in kindness and prayer. This is the way of Jesus. Even if we live at peace and we do our best to live at peace with everybody, it will not always bring us peace. We need to know that. In Matthew 5, 10 through 30, uh, 34 through 39, it says this, and I think this needs to be addressed because this, these verses have actually been used to wage wars by Christians. When the preponderance of what Jesus is telling us is to live in peace. That in, and again, some of these Christians are claiming to do justice, and I will, I didn't write this down, but you know, there is a time for war. There is a time for war. But far too often we get there really quickly. We get there so quickly that, oh, this needs war. This needs war. And instead, we get to be peacemakers. Even to the extent where we're persecuted before that war comes. But here's Matthew 10, 34 through 39. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Note a single sword, not swords, many, not bombs, none, none of that, right? A sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a, a person's enemy will, will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This verse is not suggesting that we go to war with our, right, my, my wife and her mother-in-law are here today. It's not suggesting that they go to war. This is not their life verse, right? This is not, this is not the way this verse works. It's not a justification for going out and just doing whatever you want. This verse is suggesting that if we live for Jesus and there are going to be people who come against us, and there's no question about it, there are going to be people who revile us. There are going to be people who spread rumors about us. There are going to be people who just simply don't like us. There are going to be people who fight us and think that we are ridiculous or even worse. Right? There are those who once they come to Jesus, they do their best to love their family and love one another. And you know what their family does? Alienates them. Says you're dead to me. Dismisses them, disowns them, slanders them. And we will get into this in greater detail in the next couple of weeks because the next beatitude says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
and blessed, and then the next one is this, and blessed are those, blessed are you when you when others revile you. So when we live for peace and we live as peacemakers in a land and among a people who are for war, we will have enemies as we live for peace. But for us, we follow Jesus. We are for peace, even if they're for war. We need the peace of God, amen, to live out this peace on earth. We need the peace that passes all understanding. We need this in our life, and it is a gift from God. Our desire for peace, right, our cheers for world peace, and if you could have one wish, what do you want? World peace. All of this comes from the heart of God, and our prayers are added to his prayers for peace on earth. This is the peace that Jesus is trying to give us. A life of peace is a life of trusting in Jesus. If we trust him, we know that he will bring peace once and for all. For us, we get to obey him. We get to follow him. Not fighting the wars ourselves. When we, were, we as a church went through Revelation, one of the things we saw there in Revelation is a, is a book full of battles. But you know who's not fighting the battle? Us. Who is? God. It's Him who fights for us. And this is a hard and narrow ro- road, but it is the way of peace as we learn to trust in Him. So this is what I think as peacemakers, now that we're all peacemakers, right? And we're just going to go live this out. God has given us tools. He's left us the Holy Spirit that will remind us of this and use these tools in our lives. And we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But I wanted just to focus on a couple tools that will help us live as peacemakers, as people of peace. First one is forgiveness. One of the most anti-war things that we can do is forgive. Forgiveness, active forgiveness says this, I am for peace. And it takes the trust of God and oftentimes the act of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives to live out forgiveness. Forgiveness is not always easy, especially when we are deeply hurt and offended, whether that be as a person or a nation. Forgiveness is truly the way of Jesus. It's truly the way of peace. We are forgiven by him for all the ways that we go against him. Right? Every time we miss the mark of perfection, Jesus' forgiveness is there for us. Every single time. We are told that if we forgive one another, what's going to happen? God will forgive us. But if we withhold forgiveness, what will God do? He will also withhold forgiveness. And we are also reminded that we are forgiven to the measure that we forgive. This is a beautiful gift that we have as peacemakers. We get to forgive. This is something that we get to use as peacemakers. And it doesn't mean that we forgive and then we agree with the person or wrong. No, the fact that we had to forgive the organization, the government, the person that perpetrated some sin against us means that um, they need forgiveness because they did something wrong. We don't need to be friends with everybody we forgive. 
Amen. We don't need to invite everyone in to our lives. Uh, There are times that good boundaries need to be in place for the protection of our own hearts and the continuation of forgiveness. Because oftentimes we need to forgive and then forgive again, even for the same thing, the same incident. There are some wounds that we have or some offenses that are so atrocious uh, that we, when we are reminded of them, our desire is to hold on to unforgiveness. That feeling is very strong. And we get to let go and give it over to Jesus time and time and time again. We get to let the Holy Spirit remind us that we get to forgive that we don't have to hold on to these offenses so that we can forgive again and again. This is the way of a peacemaker. And it is a great tool that the Holy Spirit gives us to live out as Jesus would have us live. It's not easy to forgive, but we get to let go of our need for justice and trust Jesus with it and trust that he knows what is best. Which is, this is our, our second tool, I think, in, in one of these that I, I pray every day as, we pray, as I pray the Psalms, it's, it's trust. Trust. One of our great prayers that we have as Christians and we strive to live out, the, as we strive to live out the Beatitudes in our own lives, is trust. Do we trust God or do we not? When it comes to being a peacemaker, we get to trust the battle really does belong to the Lord, that he really sees it, that he really knows that his justice is far better than ours and more secure than the justice that we'd like to see performed. We get to trust that Jesus knows and is working uh, to set all things straight in the world that we live in. God sees and knows all that is going on. There is not an animal or an insect, even the mosquito that you squished this weekend, right, that, that will die that God doesn't know about. And he says that he cares more about us than he cares about these animals. And that's the type of God that we get to place our trust in. Mo and I were on a walk the other day and we were talking about trust. And I was saying that when she goes to the store, I trust that she will come back. Something that is, maybe it's a silly analogy, I don't know. But there are no doubts in my mind. I also trust that as she goes to the store, that she will come back and she will have food for the house as well. Maybe something that we wanted or we're looking forward for lunch. She has come through for our family in this way over and over and over again. I trust that as she says, hey, I'm going to go to the store, I'll be back, that she's going to come back. It sounds simple, but I trust her. That's the way trust works. Or I could say it this way. I trust in her in these ways. But this is how we get to trust God. It's like, yeah, he's coming back. Duh. He's going to do this thing. What I mean, that's what he said he was going to do, right? And he will do what he says he will do. And he has done good. And he has acted in justice over and over and over again, more times than Mo has gone to the store. And he will continue to do this over and over and over again through history. We get to trust him. This, this trust is one of the greatest tools that we have as peacemakers to let go of our worries and trust that God sees, he knows that the battle is his. And the last tool that I have, this is not the last one. There's far more that we could include in this list. But one more tool that we have for peace 
and being a peacemaker is humility. Humility is extremely hard to live by, but if we live in it, then it's going to be pretty hard to go to war. Humility counts others as more significant than ourselves. It doesn't say if we agree with them. Humility doesn't say if they agree with our morals, I'm going to consider them better than ourselves. No, it just says that we are going to consider even the least of these, even those that we disagree with, more significant than ourselves. Worthy of God's love, worthy of God's attention. And we need to let go of our need to be right all the time, regardless of we're right or not. That's not the point. By the way, this humility that I'm speaking of, this is what Jesus has done for us. He doesn't agree with everything that we've done. And yet he considered us more significant than himself. And he died for us and rose again. And he forgave our sins. Jesus is a perfect example of true humility and the true way of a peacemaker in this. This whole week, I've been praying this Psalm 120. I am for peace. Just that part. I am for peace. Praying this for our church. I pray that we are for peace. That we are for peace. That the way that we live out the love that God has given us, the way that we live out forgiveness that God has given us, the way that we live out our trust in Jesus, the way that we live in humility, that we can say, I am for peace. Not only with our words and our minds and our hearts, but our lives as well. That we will judge as we want to be judged. And in that, we will extend grace and mercy to others. We can't fight peace with war. We can't do it. We cannot fight love with hate. As soon as you give in to hate, hate has won. As soon as you give in to war, peace is gone. Let us be for peace. Let us be a people that are for peace. So we shall be called the sons and daughters of God. Jesus, I thank you for these convicting words. Lord, I feel as though we do not live in a world that is for peace. We live in a world that is for war. But Lord, I pray that you will make us a people of peace. Lord, we want to be your sons and daughters. This is only possible through your grace. Please allow us to be peacemakers in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.